Teach us to number our days, sang the psalmist, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz, and you're listening to the After Dinner Scholar from Wyoming Catholic College. This past June 12th to 17th, the 2022 Wyoming School of Catholic Thought convened here in Lander. Adult learners came from California, Texas, Louisiana, New York, Pennsylvania, Wyoming, and elsewhere to study the great texts on the theme, Mortality and Eternity. Our Wyoming Catholic College faculty led the sessions. They gave a short lecture introducing the reading, and that was followed by seminars. This summer, the After Dinner Scholar will bring you those lectures, and while they are helpful on their own, they will also serve as an introduction for your own study of the texts that are in the curriculum. We began on Sunday, June 12th, with an after dinner lecture to introduce the week. That night, I spoke about Psalm 90. All right, well, welcome again uh, to this uh, gathering of the Wyoming School of Catholic Thought. And uh, for several years now, I have been suggesting to hails of derisive laughter that we do a Wyoming School of Catholic Thought on death. And, um, and then my friend, uh, we, we had a meeting, we had, you know, a, the, the, the faculty who was going to be part of the school got together and we had a meeting and my friend Daniel Shields said, you know, we could do one on death. And I was like, wow, you know. <laughs> um, I, 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 I was delighted, uh, though I'm not sure what possessed young Daniel to suggest death, but death is certainly something that I've thought about and continue to think about much more being 68 than even when I was 66, let alone 36. Death is all around us. Um, there was an article in, on the op-ed pages about the killings in Nigeria, and the, uh, uh, not just the last one, uh, where 50 were killed at mass on Pentecost, but other uh, shootings in Nigeria where Christians have been martyred. Uh, we've heard about school shootings, uh, would-be assassin at Justice Kavanaugh's. Um, and just because you haven't been to an ICU, a hospice, or a funeral lately, it doesn't matter. It doesn't mean that those things don't happen constantly, every day. At the height of COVID, I, well, I don't know why I was even watching television news. I don't know how it happened. It was purely by accident, I assure you. <laughs> and there's this reporter, every ICU bed in San Diego is full. Well, I happen to uh, be married to someone who has been an ICU, ICU nurse and uh, a, a supervisor at a major medical center. And guess what, folks? ICU beds are all full all the time. You know, one is empty because somebody is downgraded or somebody is shipped to the undertaker. And uh, it's empty long enough to change the linens and neaten up the room because somebody else needs it. Um, Last Sunday was, of course, Pentecost, the end of the Easter season. So after I prayed evening prayer that evening, I brought the Lent Easter volume of the breviary down to my bookshelf to exchange it for the ordinary time breviary that started on Monday morning. And as I put the, Easter, uh, the Lent Easter volume in its place, 
a question occurred to me. How many more Easter's will I see in this life? How many more times will I take out this breviary volume and for 90 days pray the Psalms and prayers here and read the readings and relive Christ's passion and resurrection? How many more? How many more Christmases? How many more Thanksgivings? How many more Lander Fourth of Julys? How many more birthdays? And of course, I don't know. And that's not to be morbid any more than it's morbid to think about things and have a life insurance policy or do intelligent estate planning and have a will. You should all have a will. Um, or in a business or organization, have a succession plan. As singer-songwriter uh, Bruce Coburn put it many years ago, everything that exists in time runs out of time someday. And again, that's not to be morbid. Rather, let me suggest it is to be wise. Psalm 90 is a meditation on our, our mortality and God's eternity. And let me read that to you. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before us, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength, yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due to you. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for the many days as you have afflicted us. For as many years as we have seen trouble, may your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. The word of the Lord. The psalm is attributed to Moses, the man of God. And by and large, there's no good reason to doubt those attributions in the Psalter. And it makes sense since the psalm reflects what could have been very well been the thoughts and the feelings of Moses. First, Moses knew the stories of God's intervention in the lives of the patriarchs. When he saw the burning bush and he turned aside and he heard God's voice, God said to him, Exodus 3, 6, I am the God of your father, 
the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The God who worked in the past in the lives of those who were, by Moses' time, long dead, was still at work, now in a new age, a new generation, in a sense, with a new patriarch. As he was with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, so he would be with Moses and with his people, Israel, enslaved in Egypt. So he would be, so he is, so he will ever be for his people in every generation, down to our very own and beyond. Faithful, trustworthy, loving, true, and lest we forget, which we are inclined to forget, holy. This week we have an opportunity to study the works of those who have gone before us, the biblical authors, the ancient uh, classical authors, and what they had to say about mortality and about eternity. In addition, we'll share the daily Eucharist together, that tangible reminder of our faithful, trustworthy, loving, true, and holy God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations, close quote, right down to this generation of mortal men and mortal women. Second, Moses saw God in the grand sweep of creation. He understood God as the creator, the one who has made everything, who is eternal from everlasting to everlasting. And this week, we'll have the opportunity to do what Landerites do every day, uh, assuming that we have an ounce of sense in our brains. That is, look around. The mountains, the rivers, the desert. The wildflowers this year are beyond what I remember from previous years. The wildflowers in Sinks Canyon are jaw-dropping. And we can stand in awe. The Wind River Mountains were formed when earth-building forces that I can't even conceive of pushed a flat plain up thousands of feet. If you go to Sinks Canyon, and I hope everyone will, those layers of rock are sedimentary rock. Well, sedimentary rock settles, it's flat, and yes, it's tilted up at an angle. It's astounding what God has done. Can you imagine the energy required? Later, the glaciers came, and again, with unimaginable force, carved out Sinks Canyon, along with the beautiful cirques deeper up in the mountain. Generations of men and women come and go, but verse 2, before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. Verse 4, for a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Moses understood the generations back from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Moses saw the creation that God had created. And third, Moses was aware of death. Moses watched as God plagued the Egyptians again and again, bending nature to his will, finally killing the firstborn of everyone and everything in Egypt. Moses raised his staff and the Red Sea opened that the people of Israel might go through to the other side. And once they got to the other side, 
it closed in again on Pharaoh and his troops, leaving none alive. Moses drank the life-giving water and ate the sustaining manna in the desert. Moses met with God on Sinai and held in his hands the tablets inscribed by God's finger, only to return to the camp at a debauched pagan festival. God called Moses to the work of leading the Israelites out of Egypt to the promised land. The mess at the base of Sinai was hardly unique to the story. The people were rebellious. The work was exhausting. The days were long and troubling. Rebellion and sin led, as they always lead, to judgment. And Moses watched as a whole generation, the generation of his peers, the generation he had led out of Egypt, he watched as one by one they died in the desert until only Joshua and Caleb were left. And then he died before entering the promised land. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning that it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger, terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath, and we finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years, or 80 if we have the strength, yet their span is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass, and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. In light of all that he says about the generations, about creation, about God, about life and death, we read what to me is the climax of the psalm, verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In the June-July issue of First Things, editor Rusty Reno writes this, quote, the promise of immortality is alluring, especially to educated, rich, and progressive Americans who imagine that they deserve every advantage in life including the freedom to manage their mortality, if not escape it altogether, close quote. Our culture is obsessed with overcoming limits, the limits imposed by reality. The reality of the world and its weather, climate, tectonic events. The reality of our bodies, reproduction, preventing it on one hand, trying to find ways to cause it on the other hand. Sexuality and gender. The reality of sickness, aging, and death. We're confronted daily with what someone called the scientific imperative. If we can do it, we should do it. Wisdom has no place in such a world. Technique is everything. Well, technique and profit, right? By contrast, the wisdom we find in scripture, in the ancient classical writers, and in the church, while not rejecting medicine, clean air and water, healthy living, productive farming, and so on, sees reality as not something to be overcome, but something to which we must conform. 
Psalm 139, 15 through 16 reads, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And in the next verse of Psalm 139, the psalmist adds, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. Psalm 90, verse 12, enjoins us to embrace that reality. God has numbered our days. We should do the same and thus conform ourselves to what is real and what is true, developing in the process wisdom. The psalm goes on. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for the days that you have afflicted us for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. God is not only our dwelling place, but the dwelling place for all generations. His work extends from our ancestors, our physical ancestors, and our ancestors in the faith, to our children, again, to our literal children, our physical children, and to our children in the faith. In spite of our lives ending after our three score and ten and four score if we are strong, God's project goes on. His plan stretches far beyond my little life and your little life. It stretches from those who have gone before us to those who will follow. They have their part. I have my part. You have your part while we live. And, and even after we live, there is a connection. We have our part. For my birthday, my son John and his wonderful wife Emily and the grandchildren who had no part in selecting this <laughs> gave me a book of meditations by St. John Henry Newman, the, who was wise in part, I think, because he knew how to number his days. And I want to close with a passage from his Meditations on Christian Doctrine, an extended passage. It's a passage that you may have read or heard before, but it's worth hearing and considering again. Newman writes, God has created me to do him some definite service. He has committed some work to me, which he has not committed to another. I have my mission. I, may, I never may know it in this life, but I shall be told it in the next. Somehow I am necessary for his purposes, as necessary in my place as an archangel in his. If indeed I fail, he can raise another, as he could make the stones children of Abraham. Yet I have a part in this great work. I am a link in a chain, a bond of connection between persons. He has not created me for naught. I shall do good. I shall do his work. I shall be an angel of peace, a preacher of truth in my own place, 
while not intending it. If I do but keep, excuse me, I will be an angel of peace, a preacher of truth in my own place while not intending it, if I but keep his commandments and serve him in my calling. Therefore, I will trust him. What, whatever, wherever I am, I can never be thrown away. If I am in sickness, my sickness may serve him. In perplexity, my perplexity may serve him. If I am in sorrow, my sorrow may serve him. My sickness or perplexity or sorrow may be necessary causes of some great end, which is quite beyond us. He does nothing in vain. He may prolong my life. He may shorten it. He knows what he's about. He may take away my friends. He may throw me among strangers. He may make me feel desolate, make my spirit sink, hide the future from me. Still, he knows what he's about. And he knows what he's about in gathering this group of people in this place at this time here to grow in wisdom in God's country as we look at mortality and eternity together. Next week, Dr. Glenn Arbery, our college president, will present an introduction to Leo Tolstoy's 1886 novella, The Death of Ivan Ilyich, which is available as a PDF online. I think you'll find it a fascinating and very contemporary reflection on not only the end of life, but on life well lived. For Wyoming Catholic College, this is Dr. Jim Tonkowicz.